Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Well, hi there. Today's episode is about ways to jumpstart your recovery. And specifically, I'm talking with Margaret Ward about 10 ways that running can jumpstart your recovery. Margaret runs a company called Recovery Run Adventures, where she helps women train, travel, and transform. And it looks so cool. I've known Margaret for a number of years. She's a mother of four, a former lawyer, a multiple marathon finisher, a runner, a retired Chardonnay drinker, a life and sobriety coach. She's been featured in Trail Runner magazine. And her main passion, besides her kids, are finding adventures through traveling and throughout the running world. She's going to talk about ways that running can jumpstart your recovery. Whether you're thinking of drinking, whether you're in those shaky first days of sobriety or later in the process, you've quit drinking and are now thinking about what's next. And developing a running practice is an amazing way to jumpstart your recovery 
And the way that Margaret breaks it down, it is really approachable. Even for me, I remember that I actually trained for a 10K in my first four months of sobriety, and I had not ran in probably the previous five years. And it was really helpful with the discipline. I mean, I remember running a mile in my first five days as part of a workout class. And I was saying to myself, okay, I I can't imagine how slow I was, but I was saying, okay, I'm doing this, I'm running, and I haven't had a drink in five days. And that was incredible to me. So I am so excited to have Margaret on. Welcome. Hi, Casey. Thanks for having me. I got to tell you, you just talking about training for that first 10K, like my heart started beating faster for you. And I got so excited for you because I know how that must have felt finishing that race, like for the first time in sobriety. It's, it's something special, that first race. It was. And I also remember because, you know, you let everything go to hell. I stopped drinking on February 18th. That's right. I'm in 2016. And the race was on my son's birthday, which was April 24th. And I remember running it all by myself. And in the morning, I picked up the cake on my way home from the race. And I was just going super slowly, but I was feeling this immense joy and just thinking to myself, I now do what I say I'm going to do, which was incredible. That is so powerful. That's so powerful. That's so true. That is so true. And one thing we were actually just chatting about, Margaret and I were, um, before we jumped on the call, is she was telling me about this project she's working on that she's so passionate about, which is stories from moms. Margaret's been a mom for 26 years and of four children. And she's writing a book about sort of the untold stories from the trenches of motherhood and um, just helping to share like in sobriety, in recovery, in motherhood, you're not alone. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I say I'm quotation marks writing it, but I'm really curating the stories from other women because I know when I was a new mom, um, there weren't any books of like stories from real moms out there. There were all the, you know, how to books, And I think it's so important that we really hear from women. I mean, one thing I've learned from in recovery is how healing stories are. I think the whole reason I'm in recovery now is because I I heard somebody's story for the first time and could relate to it. And I was like, wow, there are other people out there that are like me that feel this way and they're doing so well. And it's so important to have those role models, especially in motherhood, when it is such a lonely time and nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about how lonely it's going to be. You know, we talk about feeding schedules and, you know, going back to work, but nobody talks about the emotions that are attached to these decisions we make. And I think it would just be so helpful and healing for other moms to have a book like that, where they could pick it up and read somebody's story and be like, me too. Like that happened to me and it changed me and we're going to be okay. So I'm really, I'm so excited. I'm starting to get stories from women and it's just, it's, it's like filling my heart, like in a way I've never, ever felt before. I think it's so important. And I am, I am so excited for you to do this because I also have to say that I know for myself, I know from hearing from thousands of women um, that drinking really tends to take off 
when you have kids. Like if you tend to be a big drinker, if you love to drink, like I did, like I know you did, once you have kids, you don't have those other social outlets that kind of mitigated your drinking. Or, you know, I used to go to Pilates after work or yoga or guitar lessons. Apparently I supported the entire service industry of Seattle, Washington, but you know, it was how I kept myself on an even keel. And once I had my son, I was rushing home from to pick him up at daycare after work. And it was even more humbling when I wasn't working because it's so difficult to meet someone else's needs 24 seven, but we tend to drink a lot and then we feel even more shame and even more not enough. And so it wasn't until I got to sobriety, even though I was surrounded by girlfriends, that I actually talked about the fears I had, the insecurities I had, how sad I felt, how, um, how much I dreaded the next day. And it was drinking, but it was also just life. And it's kind of amazing that surrounded by people, because I was very social, we never talked more about than work was aggravating and your boss and your next vacation and like kids being annoying, but not the, not how I felt. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I mean, there's a big shame. Talk about shame or in motherhood. I mean, it's huge. And I think that's what keeps women from talking so much is, you know, they want to look like they have it all together. They're expected to look like they have it all together. You know, we were talking about this generation of women that came before us that, you know, led led the way so that we could have it all. And so we expect to then have it all. So we don't let them down, but it's an impossible thing to, to do. It's an impossible thing to do. And it puts so much pressure on women, you know, to try and do it. And let's talk about, you know, the stay at home mom who is suddenly alone, alone with, you know, these little beings 24 hours a day, you know, without support. I mean, she might not have family nearby. I mean, and the boredom, nobody talks about the boredom that's associated with motherhood. There's boredom. You know, and it's okay to talk about it. You're not a bad mom if you're bored, but that boredom can lead to, yeah, some bad habits. I, w- I wouldn't even call them bad habits. Some, some behaviors that aren't healthy, you know, such as drinking, such as overspending, you know, I mean, there's so many things that we that you know, women turn to because they don't have a source to talk. Yeah. And a lot of times there's a lot of tension in your marriage, especially when your kids are super young. Because, I mean, if we're used to being, you know, you talk about this generation of women who often went to college, went to grad school, worked jobs before they have children, whether or not they stay home. I only stayed home for three months with my first son. And by the way, that was difficult, too, because talk about failing at work and failing at home. (laughs) Suddenly, if I wanted to go get a cup of coffee, I had to essentially ask permission. That's not the right word, but I had to ask my husband to take take my son. He, I was like on him if he wanted to go play basketball. Cause I'm like, you've been at work all day. I've been home with our son. I, you know, haven't, you know, it's difficult, especially when you're on day like 63 of like feed, play, nap, scream, 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 repeat. And suddenly you go from this completely independent person who feels great about your capability to cope with life to this humbling experience of not being able to make anyone happy in your entire life. So it is pretty common to drink and to be like, okay, because guess what? When you drink for better or worse, you can still be home and it sort of puts a bubble around you and it, it dulls 
um, everything and makes the time go faster. And, you know, you, it's so common. It happened to me. I know it happened to you, Margaret. It happens to so many women. So the work you're doing, the book you're writing, I think it's amazing. And I almost feel, um, I feel like it will help women who aren't in the recovery circles who get all this support and get so much validation that this stuff is hard, hear that too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, so much, there's so much we could talk about. Yeah. How motherhood, I mean, it changes our roles. It changes our relationships and the guilt that's associated with that. Yeah. Can be really damaging, you know, and not to say that motherhood is awesome. You know, I mean, and I think that's the point of this book, too, that all this can happen and it can still be awesome, amazing, you know, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. And it gets better. I mean, first, those first three, four years are just humbling. I know it's hard later, but it's it's less physically and um, emotionally draining and difficult, even the wonderful parts. Um, I mean, my heart just goes out to like we're in the middle of COVID and my kids are six and 12 and trust me, that's difficult too. But Oh my God, I have clients and I have friends who have two-year-olds and four-year-olds and wow. Yeah. I have no words for that. I just, my, they are, they are my heroes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. My heroes. And I worry about them to be honest. You know, I worry that they're getting support because they're yeah. not, obviously they can't yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I wanted to talk to you because when you launched this business, first of all, I went to your website, which is incredibly beautiful and had total, I'm, I ran a 10 K I felt really good. Then life continued work, kids starting my coaching business. I have gotten out of running. I really want to get back into it. Um, but you have these races that I know are on hold, but I mean, half marathons, 10 Ks, marathons in Italy and where else? They look incredible for women in recovery. Yeah. So the goal of my my business, Recovery Run Adventures, is to have these adventures for women. They're alcohol-free adventures. So you don't have to be in recovery from alcohol necessarily. You're in recovery from something though, but um, they are alcohol-free. And it's to get women out of their comfort zones. You know, I mean, all these three things will do that traveling um, and, and encountering, taking over something like uh, a half marathon, you know, that you've never done before. I mean, there's nothing like that. And so my idea is to combine all those. So um, our first trip is going to be to Iceland next August. And wow. I, I have fingers crossed, fingers crossed it's going to happen. We're proceeding as if it's going to happen, though. Um, yeah. So it'll be up to 12 women. Um, staying, doing great adventures during the day, you know, running will be included and then we'll end it. You know, the finale will be running this half marathon or 10 K, you know, they can choose what, what level they want to want to do, but anyone, anyone can do it. I mean, that's my, I don't want people to be intimidated by, you know, a half marathon because it is so possible for anyone to do, no matter what your level is, it is possible. It's not about, you know, a finishing time. It's, it's about finishing a goal that you set out to do and feeling good about yourself. And that's my goal. I want women to be empowered and to feel good about themselves and something magical. I mean, you've done this Casey when going on a, she recovers retreat, something magical is when a group of women get together 
taking on something together, it's magical. And you can't really put it into words. But when you've experienced it, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Are you listening to this episode and thinking that you're ready to see what your life could look like and feel like without alcohol as your constant companion? If the answer is yes, I've got a great free resource just for you. You can get my Sober Girl's Guide to Quitting Drinking by going to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash yes. It's a 30-page guide packed with tips and tricks, resources, advice, and support to get you started on your first 30 days without alcohol. In it, you'll find the practical steps you need to get started and to keep going. To get the guide, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash yes. Enter your email address and the guide will be sent to your inbox. Now let's get back to the episode. And it's so powerful. And I never really did this until recovery. I mean, of course, I went on like girl trip adventures, um, places, but I never really took a trip or vacation time or money or time by myself without my kids until recovery. And, and I think that just having that to look forward to, like, if it was me, I'd put it on my vision board, I'd put up the pictures of Iceland, I'd put up a picture of me running um, or the woman I want to be running, you know, just thinking about it and just envision that. I mean, I could hold on to that for a year as something that I think in sobriety, it's so important to look forward, to look forward to the, the amazing, beautiful, fun life you're going to lead. That's more big and adventurous than you ever were when you were drinking. And so I love this idea. And I may even have to start running because I so want to go. Um, but it sounds amazing. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's so important to have a goal like in sobriety, to have um, to celebrate the little milestones and have you know, this big goal ahead. It's so important. I know. I think I was six months sober. And I was like, damn, I got to reward myself. Like, this is huge. Yeah. So I looked online, I found a really cheap airfare to Copenhagen. And I went and ran by myself and ran a half marathon there. It was a tiny little local race. I've never been so scared in my life. And I've traveled alone, like a lot, but to go sober and to a little local race where nobody was speaking English, I was scared shitless. And I almost turned around and went back to my Airbnb that morning. And I was like, you cannot fly over here to chicken out. And I went and it was, it was a life-changing experience. It really was. It was life-changing because I'm running around this city with all the locals out. There was maybe, I don't even know, there was maybe a hundred of us in this race. It was for charity. And they're all cheering us on. And I was like, and I'm sober. I'm sober. I want everybody to know. I'm like, it's like that ultimate sober. high. It's an ultimate high. And I love that you did that because that's so brave and and I know that travel was one of my, I mean, it still is one of my great joys. Like I'm a huge homebody and a world traveler. Like it is just my favorite thing in the world. And I know a lot of women, like 
traveling sober, traveling without drinking is something that's that's scary. That's a reason to keep drinking. I have this trip coming up. And, you know, since I've quit drinking, I've traveled to Venice and to Croatia and to Greece and Amsterdam, Hawaii and Mexico. And it is wonderful. Like everything you love about travel is still there. And it's even more exciting and you get even more creative and all the things I, I'm, I'm positive. I'm going to do a whole episode about traveling, but I think right now it might be too depressing since all the borders, there are a lot of them. So we will hold that one, but I have the best advice on sober travel because it is lovely and so brave of you to do that. Oh my gosh. I'm jealous of your travels that you've been on. Yeah. I'm that I'm looking forward to that episode. But traveling is a big trigger for a lot of people because they're used to doing it a certain way, which is, which includes drinking. You know, most people, when they go on vacation, it's, it's time to drink. Like I'm on vacation, you know, let's, let's go for it. Let's stay up late. And so they don't, they can't envision a way to do it without that. And so this is an easy entry to go with other women, you know, so there is no temptation for drinking because there won't be any there. Um, And just see what it's like, you know? And then maybe next time you'll have the courage to do it on your own. Well, and I know that there are, I mean, speaking for myself, but I also work with a lot of women, you know, when people get to the point of needing to quit drinking or wanting to quit drinking, typically they are sick and tired, right? The old phrase, sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And a lot of that is physical. And some of that is weight or just feeling good about their, their ability to walk upstairs, their ability to run down the street, their ability to keep up with their kids, um, muscle, all those things. And it is really important to fill up the time and feel like you are doing something when you're not drinking that is more than I got through the last 24 hours, right? So we're yeah. going to talk about this episode is, a, is going to talk about how um, running can jumpstart your recovery in 10 ways that it can really help you. Of course, it helps you once you're further along in sobriety. And of course, it's good for you. There are a lot of women who drink before quitting drinking, but there are a lot who've gotten out of it and who've gotten out of any exercise because they're hungover on Saturday mornings. So I love that you've put together the benefits of this, but let's talk about it. Will you just take us through it? Yeah, yeah, let's start. So actually, I think early sobriety is the perfect time to start a running routine because um, like for all the reasons you've said, you've suddenly freed up all this time, you know, you are starting to feel better about yourself. So so I would suggest to anyone in early sobriety, yeah, jump in now, like don't wait go full force right now, maybe not full force, but um, I think the number one benefit running in early sobriety, especially is that it's going to give you the most bang for your buck, right? I mean, you don't have to pay any, you know, monthly fee. You don't have to get into a car and go anywhere. You can literally just put on your running shoes, open the door and go out, which is great because in early sobriety, you know, you might not know when you want to go run, you know, you might feel tired in the morning or something. So this, there's no excuses. You can do it anytime you feel like it. You can do it when you're feeling bored, you know, there's no excuses anymore. And we want to make life easier for ourselves in early sobriety. Like why, why make life difficult? So running provides 
and easy way to feel good about yourself fast. So I would say that's the number one reason why to start now. Don't hold off. You know, you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck out of running. Um, I'm just going to preface the next couple of things I say with, I am not a science person at all. Like I avoided all science in, in high school and college. I avoided it because I'm not good at it. So if I explain something that's wrong, I know all the science people are going to come after me, but so I'm prefacing it that I don't know really what I'm talking about. Um, Except for you decided to go be a lawyer instead, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I, but I hear you on that. But I do know, I do know, these are things I do know that running is going to help prevent cravings from happening, or if they are happening, it's going to lessen them. And that's because something happens in your brain when you run and it's called endorphins. Okay, here goes all the science stuff. So what are endorphins? Endorphins are chemicals that are set off in your brain and they lessen the pain you feel and they make you feel good. Like that's as sciencey as I can get, or at least they make you feel um, that way. And so when you go for a run, you're going to feel good. And that's why they call this the runner's high, you know? So when you stop drinking, when you drink, you're getting a little hit of dopamine, which is one of those endorphins. And that's only one I know, dopamine and serotonin. But the dopamine is the feel-good one. So when you take a drink, typically, you know, your brain tells you this feels good and it releases that dopamine. So when you stop, your brain's going to want that dopamine still. So go for a run. And you'll get that, but just in another more healthy way. Um, that's as, yeah, that's as science as I get. There is a scientist, though, uh, John Ratty. And if anybody knows him and I'm mispronouncing his name, tell him I'm sorry. Um, but he's a professor over at Harvard. And he studied mostly in ADHD kids. But he studied the benefits of exercise on the brain. So he did this study and he put half of the kids on Ritalin and half of them, he um, prescribed something called the lace them up cure. And those kids would go run. And the brain, it had the same exact effect on the brain running and Ritalin. And then he went on to write this whole book that if you're interested, um, it's called Spark. And it goes into all the details about what exactly, you know, happens to the brain when you, when you exercise. And he talks specifically about trail running because with trail running, it hits the three major things. You're, you're not only increasing your heart rate, but you're outside in nature, getting the benefits from the, that. And you're on uneven terrain when you're on a trail. So it's engaging your brain even further by making you pay attention really to where you're going. So those three factors, just if you want, like I said, most bang for your buck, go out and go on a trail run and you'll get a real hit of dopamine. That was a lot. You, what do you think about the difference between walking and running or hiking and running? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So as long as you're increasing your heart rate, so that's the next thing I was going to talk about. As long as your heart rate is being increased, you're going to get the benefits of it. And they said that the most, they said, not me, but the, the, the scientists who know all the stuff said this, um, the best benefit is from a moderate level. So it's not like you're going sprinting, you know, going to get a sprint. I mean, you will get benefit from that. But if you're going at a level where your heart rate isn't increased at all, it's not going to be that great of a benefit. The best is where, you know, it's a moderate exercise. Um, and when that happens, your brain allows um, GABA 
to be released and available too. So GABA is called the the break of the brain, the breaks mm-hmm. of the brain, if you know what I mean. So this is another huge benefit to, to running in early sobriety because I know I dealt with anxiety. I know you have. I know most people deal with anxiety, not just those who are in recovery. Um, and so running, because of that release of GABA, I mean, it stops that anxiety. It stops that, I call it, I have a crazy brain. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. My brain just literally doesn't stop at all. So running and getting that little hit of GABA calms me down, allows me just like to take a breath, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember just, I mean, one of the reasons that I advise to everyone that they download a sober sort of tracking guide. I love, I'm done drinking other people like, um, I have to look them up. There are so many other ones, but that don't only count days, right? You're on day 29, you're on day 30, but that also count you know, um, money not spent, calories saved, bottles not consumed, time not wasted. It's similar to running because you are doing so much more with those days than just not drinking for 24 hours. You know, the, the health benefits, the financial benefits, the productivity benefits, even if you're just sleeping, sleeping is so good for your body. Um, are good. So it's not, you know, when you look and you say 13 days, that feels so anticlimactic, but with running too, like I ran, you know, and people can track, right. Say you run two days a week, three, four in a month. Hey, I haven't had a drink in 30 days and I've gone on 10 runs. I mean, that is an accomplishment, especially when you typically compare that to what you were doing Previously, one of my clients went on more hikes in three weeks of early sobriety. She's a hiker than she had in the previous three months. I mean, that's just, you're doing more things positive and constructive than just trying to wait out the days. I love that. I've never heard anyone explain it like that. And I just love that way of thinking. It's such a more productive way of thinking than, yeah, just counting days. Yeah, I love counting days, right? I believe yeah, me too. sobriety is super important. And, you know, but I also think that that in and of itself is not, you know, a lot of us women like to accomplish fun of things, right? You're a mother, you're raising kids, you're, you're doing so much in the world. We're, we're taught to get stuff done and multitask. So we want things to check off our list, right? Getting through day one, like I'm always like, Every night you put your head on a pillow and you didn't drink, you get a gold star. You are a gold star girl. And yet we also like to be like, I took a run. I organized the house. I did the dishes. I ran to the sport practice, right? Like we want our check marks, our green check marks too. Man, I lived and died by my day counter in early sobriety. You did? Oh, I checked it three times a day sometimes, which now I'm like, did I think it was going to change? Like, so I think the number was going to change that day, but it was for me. And I know this isn't for anyone, but for me, it kept me accountable and it made me feel so proud. Like every time I saw that day count go up, I felt like a freaking movie star. Like I was just, I, I it, it really, and now I haven't checked it in, you know, a while, but I still keep it. 
let me tell you, I still keep it going. That is awesome. Okay. I know you have more tips or more reasons and ways that can benefit you. So let's go into them. Yeah. So this one kind of just piggybacks what you were saying is um, it gives you a goal. And I think that, like you said, in early sobriety, that is so important to have a goal. And this is an easy way to have a goal and then celebrate a success. So by that, I mean, you know, don't go out tomorrow on your first day, you know, not drinking and sign up for a half marathon, you know, next week, because you're going to be disappointed. You're going to get injured. If if you haven't, you know, the farthest you run is maybe a mile. Let's set the goal a little smaller. And uh, so you can then enjoy the successes. So say you've never run before and you want to start a running practice. Give yourself three days this week. Say, I'm going to run three days this week and I'm going to run half a mile and walk half a mile on those three days. And when you get to that third day, celebrate the heck out of it, you know? And then the next week, build off that. Say, I'm going to still run those three days, but maybe I'm going to run a mile, you know, and, or maybe I'm going to increase my time that I'm going. And I really suggest doing it by time in the beginning. You know, it's a, it's a lot easier way to, to count your, to mark your progress than going in miles, you know, cause it's easy to get disappointed then if, so you can't make that mileage that you set out and then you feel bad about yourself, which is like the opposite goal of what we're, we're aiming towards. So start small, reward yourself, celebrate your successes, go out and, you know, buy a new pair of shoes. If you've like done two weeks of consistent running, you know, that you set out to do, then go buy yourself the new pair of shoes, go, um, go get a massage or let yourself have a bath in the middle of the day, you know, celebrate those though, because they're so important to celebrate. And it's such an easy way to see progress. You know, running is an easy way to see progress. You're going to make progress if you stick with it. If you set those goals and you stick with them, you will see progress. I get It's one thing I can't guarantee much, but I guarantee you will. You will end up better at the end of a month if you stick with the plan than you did at the beginning. Even yeah. if it's a little bit, you will be better. You will build endurance by sticking with it. So well, I think that's I love- because... Well, I was going to say, you just, you just um, brought back a crazy memory for me. Um, when I was, you know, super early, I am talking the first week, the first Sunday, I think I stopped drinking on a Wednesday just because um, long story, uh, could not remember the shows I watched the night before. And somehow that was my final nail in my coffin. So I stopped drinking on a Wednesday or Thursday and started working with a coach. And she talked about giving yourself sober treats every day. And I I was starting a new session of a workout class. And so on Sunday, my sober treat was to go get new running shoes. And I just remember going through the drive-thru at Starbucks, getting myself a latte. It was kind of a rainy day. It was February and going in to get new running shoes. And that was like my sober treat on day four. And come <laughs> And, you know, my kids, my daughter was like not quite two. So I sat in the car for like way longer than I needed to at, not in my driveway at the store. Cause I was like drinking my latte and listening to the radio and just being like, okay, this is my half hour today. This is my treat. Oh my God. That's a great story. That's a great story. Anyway, sometimes I'll go out on a run and I don't have little kids at home anymore, but sometimes I just want a little free time, you know? And I'll go out on a run and my husband and daughter joke. They're like, so how far did you run? Did you run a half marathon? Cause you've been gone like two hours. Wow. I'm like, oh, I went and got a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sat you- in my car, yeah. 
scrolled through social media for a little bit and I actually only ran five miles, but <laughs> do you go somewhere away from your house to go running? You always have these pictures of you near the beach, which kill me because they're gorgeous. Yeah. Couple running routes that you know typically I do depending on like the day and the schedule, but I do have a route that's the hardest route that I do right from my house and it's really hilly, so I try to avoid it. And lately, I've been avoiding it because there's bears and it's a main, pretty main road, but I've gotten kind of freaked out because I do everything you're not supposed to do when you see a bear, like you're supposed to, I know, you know, stay calm, make noise, wave your hands, and I freaking scream and I run in the other direction, which is <laughs> not what you're supposed to do. But on one run, I and it's a it's it's a back road, but it's a road that cars travel on. This is how bad our popular bear population is right now, though. And I came around a corner, and there were some ferns, and literally, Casey, no joke, like ten feet between us was a mama bear with her two cubs. Which no. that scares me because a mama, as you know, being a mama, you will protect talking about motherhood. All <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I. Shouldn't have done. I turned, screamed. I don't know if I screamed, but I ran, hightailed it, and there was a, a garbage can at the at end of the driveway at the neighbor's house. And I hid behind the garbage can. Like, what was I thinking? That the bear wasn't going to see me, like behind the garbage can? Okay, and, you're kind of my- going to scare some people off from running. Most people, <laughs> early sobriety, build up your days. Bears will not get you. Yeah. No, bears won't get you, but now, so I've avoided that. Yeah, but there's, there's some beautiful areas, running areas here in Connecticut that, you know, are very close to me that I'm really lucky to have that available. But I find that most, this is another thing that I love about running, no matter where I go, there's always running routes available. Mm -hmm. You know, even in a city, you know, even my daughter and I traveled to Southeast Asia in, in Chiang Mai and there, you find running places. You just easily, there's always a running community. No matter where you go, there is a running community that will welcome you, which anywhere in the world, which I love, you know, us runners are pretty friendly people. Yeah. (laughs) Which is another one of the benefits of, of, you know, running in early sobriety because it can be lonely. And I know a lot of people worry about, you know, losing friendships and not being invited places and running if you want it to. If you don't want it to, it can be a solo thing too, which, you know, to provide alone time. But if you want it to, there's a whole community that you can join and they won't care if you're not drinking, you know, they will welcome you because they all have this common goal to run. Right now, it's a little difficult to do that, you know, with Corona, but there's still lots of running groups available, you know, that you can Google online and join the community. And locally, there's, I know near me, there's, you just have to go to meetup.com type in running and you'll find so many groups, you know, that meet up, you know, on the weekends to run all different levels, all different paces. And it's just a great way to meet people and not feel alone because you don't, you shouldn't be alone in sobriety. And you should know that there are, you're not going to be alone. Like certain friendships might go away and you might not be invited to certain things, but it'll look different and it'll look great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. What other things do you have to tell us about running and recovery? Okay. Let's see. Another biggie for me. And um, I think a lot of people feel this way too, is I have trouble meditating. Mm. So like I said, I have this brain that really does not shut down. And I really want to start a meditation practice. I, it's on one of my you know things to check off and I've tried, but 
if you're like me and you have trouble, an easy entry point to meditation is running. And here's why. So when you run, the first couple of steps always suck. I'm sorry. Like no matter who you are, how long you run, they're always going to suck. But after a while, you know, usually by like a quarter mile or, you know, a few minutes in, you'll start to feel good. And it's because you start breathing and you, you have to breathe to run. Like there's no way around it. You have to breathe. You have to go in and out. And after a while, you know, your, your legs start thinking with your breath and you start thinking, you know, things and you you totally zone out. And it's called a, a moving meditation and it, it actually works. You know, there'll be some runs where all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, like 15 minutes has gone by and I didn't even realize it. And on runs that I have a hard time getting into that, you know, where my brain is still going 100 miles an hour, I use mantras to get me into that zone. So my personal mantra I use a lot is um, my legs are powerful, my heart is strong, and my mind is free. And I keep repeating that over and over and over and over and that helps, you know, get into that zone. And it really does help. I have something I want to read, which explains it a lot better. Um, this is from Christopher McDougall's book. He has a book called Born to Run. And this is, this is um, what he says. Relax enough into the run and your body becomes so familiar with the cradle rocking rhythm that you almost forget you're moving. You have to listen closely to the sound of your own breathing. And ask yourself, honestly and often, exactly how you feel. What could be more sensual than paying exquisite attention to your own body? And I just love that because, you know, like we said, us moms, especially busy moms, we are running through the day. We are going from one thing to another, picking up kids, dropping off kids, making meals. And to give yourself the luxury of that time where you can actually tune into your own body and say, you know what? How do my legs feel today? You know, how my back feel? How do my arms feel? You know, just to allow yourself that time to ask yourself those questions. And some days, yeah, my legs feel like shit. You know, they feel heavy. They don't feel good. And sometimes it's important to listen to that, you know, and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to do the extra mile today. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to give myself that permission to do that. But running gives you that time and space to do that. And especially when you're sober, when you're sober, you can actually listen to your body. You know, because I ran when I wasn't sober and I didn't listen to my body, you know. So now I'm really grateful that I can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I read your article in Trail Runner magazine, which was beautiful and so well written. And my favorite quote that you wrote there was, as a woman in recovery, I have rediscovered my relationship with running and its place in my life. Running has allowed me to redefine my ideas of self-worth. It provides an outlet far better than any wine glass. Oh, that makes me want to cry. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank you. So true, too. Yeah. And I love when you also talk about sort of sobriety, and I know you're a coach and work with women as I am, which I think is wonderful. You know, you talk about, you know, quitting drinking as having a similar process for running, right? You just don't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll run a marathon today. So many women wake up and they're like, that's it. I'm never going to drink again. And then beat themselves up when on day two, day three, day four, they're white knuckling, it runs out and their brain takes over and says, this is all too hard. Of course, it's too hard. Like I often tell women, 
think about quitting drinking in the same way you do about running a marathon caveat, not that I've ever done it. Um, but like your partner does not need to run a marathon with you. Your best friend does not need to run a marathon with you. They don't need to understand why you're doing it in the same way. They don't need to quit drinking with you or understand it. You need support. You find like-minded people who are doing this, who've done it before. Maybe you get a coach, you join a group, you put together a plan, you break it down into manageable milestones. And at the end of the day, it's something you're really proud of. It's something you're doing for your health, mental health, physical health. But nobody wakes up, says, I'm going to run a marathon today, and then beats themselves up when they stop at mile two. I mean, if they do, that's crazy. Of course, you need to train and take it step by step for six months and be reinforced and get information on nutrition and supports and, and encouragement when it gets hard. Like the same process when you want to quit drinking, cause it's not good for you. Um, and if someone says, Oh my God, why the hell are you running a marathon? That's ridiculous. Just have a glass of wine. They don't need to understand. They're not on the same goal track that you are. Yeah. I make that comparison all the time because it's such a good comparison because the two really are the same, you know, they take the same steps. Yeah. To run a marathon takes a lot. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of runs that, you know, you go out to run 20 miles and you end up only running 10 and, you know, and then you get back out there and you, you keep going. You don't give up, you know, you keep going just because you have a day where it sucks you don't give up. You keep back at it and it takes nutrition and it takes accountability. It takes, yeah, it takes all those things. And that's exactly, you know, what sobriety takes. Yeah. It takes a lot. And even as I'm talking to you about this, the thought of a marathon is so daunting to me. So I think I'm going to start with going out running, just putting my shoes on and starting. And I think I can only get maybe a mile. I can do three miles, but like stopping every mile. So maybe trying to do that more often and building up and maybe a 5k or 10k distance will be enough for me. Because again, same way I tell women when they start, like, don't think about forever, like set a goal, like a 5k, which for me is like a hundred days of not drinking. Maybe that's a 10k if I'm being honest, cause that's pretty big. <laughs> and then break it down. You're trying to get through day five. You're trying to get through day seven. 20 days is incredible. You are a rock star. So in the same way, like running three miles without stopping, you are an effing rock star. A total effing rock star. Yeah. yeah. We can say fuck too. You're a fucking Oh, rock star. thank God. <laughs> I know. I was like, why did I even say that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, set your goals. Like I said, set your goals, you know, depending on where you're at. And don't try to compare yourself to somebody else, you know, and I fell into that habit so many times as a runner and I had imposter syndrome so bad, even though I had run marathons, you know, because I didn't run a certain time or a certain pace. So I thought I wasn't, you know, runner enough and you can't do that. You can't compare yourself to anybody else but yourself. And that's why I finally threw the watch away when I got sober, because I'm like, this isn't the reason why I'm running. And it's not good mentally to compare yourself to other people. You know, where are you? What feels good for you? And go with that. I love it. I love it. So tell me about the recovery coaching that you do. 
What kind of women do you work with? Um, are they in early sobriety or do they know they want to use running to quit drinking or build up a running practice? Are they more running focused or more sobriety focused? You know, what, what's your favorite way to work with women? Yeah, with my recovering coaching, it really is um, based on sobriety, you know, and I, I work mostly with gray area drinkers because that's what I was. And I'm a huge proponent of, you know, getting off that elevator early that you don't have to hate a rock bottom. Because I think for a long time, I, again, was comparing myself to others and the image I had of what an alcoholic was, was not me. You know, it was portrayed in the, the movies as this person who's down in a basement, this old man, you know, and it wasn't me. So for a long time, I kept saying, it's, I'm not bad enough. You know, I can't possibly have a problem. I'm not bad enough. And the question I should have been asking, and I think Laura McCowan is the one who says this all the time is, the right question is, is it right enough? Like, do you feel good enough? Like, that's the real question. And I didn't. The answer was no, I didn't feel good enough. So I love working with women who are even just sober curious, you know, and maybe they do want to start taking up running and their drinking, you know, doesn't really mesh with that. So like you said, you don't have to, to make some big pronouncement, you know, that, oh, God, I'm an alcoholic. I can't ever drink again. I'm going to give it a try. You know, I'm going to maybe train you after this half marathon. And my goal is not to drink during the training and see how that goes. And I love that because I think that is so empowering for women, you know, just to take control back and not let society dictate that. You know what? I've got to be part of this mommy wine culture and I won't have any fun. And I won't have any friends if I, if I don't partake anymore. And that's just, let me call it out. That's just all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I really like the idea. I love the picking a period of time, not to drink, setting a goal, running for the period of time um, that you're not drinking. Training is great, but I really do want to encourage women to, while you're doing that, also do some work around not just not drinking because you're running in the same way you're not drinking because you're doing a whole 30, but looking at why you're drinking, what emotions you're trying to work through, developing new coping strategies with that, resetting your mind, uh, deconditioning yourself from the, from the messaging that drinking is good and required. And you don't have to do that with a coach. Um, you know, you can do that with podcasts. You can do that with books. On sobriety, Quitlet, which I have a podcast episode on the best Quitlet for women, um, which is really helpful. You can do that through free private Facebook messaging groups with a therapist or with a coach, which is really personalized and you get to work through your own limiting beliefs and your own roadblocks and stumbling blocks to not drinking. So you have a reason and a time frame to take alcohol in your life, which is, you know. I, I originally told everyone I was going doing a hundred day challenge because I wanted to get in shape and I wanted to um, get healthier and my sleep was bad and all these things. But, you know, they didn't need to know that I was worried about more than the extra 20 pounds or whatever it was, or, you know, not being all in on my morning workouts. Um, that's what I told them. And that is valid. And that was a big part of it. But in addition to I'm doing whole 30, I'm running a 10 K. If your goal is to reevaluate your relationship with drinking, take that time to actually reevaluate your relationship with drinking. 
with additional tools and resources because it is a gift. And if you don't work on your mindset, you will, you know, your best thinking will bring you back exactly where you are right now. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree, agree more. And I mean, that was the most important part of it for me was uncovering, you know, the reasons behind why I, I was drinking. And I encourage all my clients yeah, to do the same thing. Take that time off. But yeah, really start examining the reasons why you're picking up that glass every night. Yeah. You know, because that's where the real work begins. Oh, my God. And that's and, when you, you know, get the most benefits. Absolutely. I did so many things to try to stop drinking. Um, I think I told you this, but in the beginning of the year, when I quit drinking, I quit drinking February 18th. In January, I signed up for a running club because clearly, you know, I needed to get in shape. I wanted to get in shape. It's the new year, new you, whatever. And I would, you know, there were Saturday morning group runs and there were um, Tuesday night group runs. And I would come home on Tuesday nights after running, say three miles, two miles, four miles, whatever it was, and drink a bottle of wine at 8 p.m. Like we got together in the evenings after work and I would still drink a bottle of wine. So I was like, okay, clearly joining a running club is not enough to stop me from downing a bottle of wine. But um, yeah, so. Oh, I got you beat. I got you beat. Do you? I up for an Ironman. I signed up for an Ironman because I thought that would get me to stop drinking. Yeah, here's a little, it, it didn't. It didn't work? Newsflash? Yeah. I mean, it kind of did because it was the last summer before I finally stopped drinking and it was on my last, it was on my last hundred mile run. I just am remembering all the- Hundred? No, you didn't. Did. Just say hundred mile run. I'm not a run, hundred mile bike ride. Okay, still no, no, ridiculous, no, no, no. but I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's insanity was insanity and the what was more insane is thinking that it would get me to stop drinking you know that's more insane because yeah. that last 100 mile bike ride you know there's so i had the, these clipless pedals you know so that you can you don't have to it's easier to pedal and i was so exhausted and so tired and my body was so done i literally just came to an intersection and just fell I just like top of, I couldn't, my brain wasn't functioning enough to tell myself to unclip from the pedals. And I just fell over and I ended up tearing my meniscus and it was three weeks before the Ironman. So I was out, but it, it was, that was, I was done drinking like that. That was a, uh, all of a sudden that was the click. I was done. My body had had enough and I was like, this is it. So it, I mean, I guess it eventually did work, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, all these little tricks we try to get, it, it doesn't work, if, you know? Yeah, but if you make the commitment that not drinking is the foundation of everything you want in life, which is so true, I mean, it just is, it is the one thing that you don't realize that is holding you back and sabotaging so much of your progress. Um, if not drinking is your foundation, then starting a running practice, working with a coach, um, for me going to my 530 workouts, um, you know, talking to a therapist, all those things are layers of support that will help you stay the course and navigate the inevitable sort of molds in sobriety where you want to go back to drinking or the, the triggers, the roadblocks, all the things. Having that consistent forward progress, having the fresh air, the endorphins, 
um, just making yourself tired with exercise. So you're able to sleep at night yeah. earlier. So you're not like wandering around your house and going to your kitchen where you typically open the bottle of wine. Um, you know, at the end of the day, having a schedule to run or a running club so that even though you really want to drink, what you need to do is eat an apple with peanut butter and get out there. And if you are committed to not drinking and have support, maybe you won't drink that wine like I did after. Yeah. No, 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 totally. Yeah. I mean, everybody needs a full toolbox, right? I mean, running yes. is one tool within that toolbox. Yeah. And if you use it properly, it, it's you're going to benefit from it. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. right now I need to add running to my toolbox because I'm not going to my morning workouts with the people I love. We've been trying to do it over Zoom and I have to say that I'm worse than most in actually showing up. Um, and I do need more tools just to manage feeling cooped up, to manage getting some solo time and some endorphins away from my children, um, you know, to get healthy and move my body. So you are, are inspiring me. I wanted to give you a shout out on your site. You have a fabulous free download. It is five steps to jumpstart your running and recovery. And can you tell us a little bit about what's in there? Yeah. So this is just for anybody um, who's interested in getting sober, who's interested in starting a running practice, but doesn't know where to start. I mean, so these five things are kind of like your roadmap on how to do it. Great. Great. And so you can go to Margaret's website. Her name's Margaret Ward. The website is recoveryrunadventures.com. I will put that link into the show notes of this episode. So you can find it really easily as well as a list of the the 10 benefits of running to jumpstart your recovery um, that Margaret mentioned on this call. So you can find that all there. And Margaret, what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you? Is it your website? Yeah, you can go on the website or I'm on Facebook, you know, Margaret Ward on Facebook. I love to talk to people. I love to connect to people. They can private message me. I'm always available. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. 
New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.